carrying the flame. It's a two-way journey. Justin Rosenstein said, life is short, youth is finite, we know that, and opportunities endless. Have you found the intersection of your passion and the potential for world-shaping positive impact? I believe that finding our passion or the flame that fires the energy for each of us in this life is created by a rich, complex tapestry of all that we came here with, lived through, chose to experience, our times, our people, music, events, endless influences, large and small. I recently asked some of my friends, what is something or someone in your life that has influenced who you are today? Almost to a person, the answer was related to their growing up and the primary people around them. I also found that they welcomed the opportunity to talk openly about their experiences. So I offer this to all of us. Who or what influenced you? What threads can you trace through your life to your current energies today? For myself, I will share that the strongest influences came from my home dairy farm community, even though we weren't farmers. We were completely engaged and embraced in a tightly knit rural community where the seeds of relationship and service were sown and flourished. In addition to that, I spent an enormous amount of time with my father, the son of an Ojibwe mother, spiritually connected to the earth, hiking the fields, woods, and trout streams. I played outdoors. I have spoken before about how my parents were also courageous enough to allow me to travel during high school through my mother's Presbyterian church to do missionary works in both the mountains of Colorado and later in Spanish Harlem in New York City in 1969. How does that play forward? It allows a natural shift to focus on our children. I have always believed that our children come, specifically choose to come to each of us because they have something to teach us as well as something to learn from us. This might be a different perspective on parenting, but at least for me, it opened up the two-way street between generations that I could then also more fully appreciate the flow of the flame between the generations around me. The phrase that our kids learn more from our actions than our words, like most sayings, is based on a lot of truth. And echoed in the anonymous saying, each day we make deposits in the memory banks of our children. And I'm, I'm not only talking about those children that we may have given birth to or adopted or found, but all of the children around us. I do not live in the fairy tale um, world that all of those memories for all children are loving and positively impactful. Some of those what children choose to live out can, as adults can be clearly despite what they had to live through as children. I would also be remiss in our focus on 
influences, not to mention the external impacts of things like social media, the pandemic, political issues, current events, etc., on all of us, but especially our children. What we can do to help ground them is modeled by us each day with what I believe are some of the most impactful coming from our own strongest flames and deepest passions. Following my father's example in raising my daughter, my goal for her was simply this, that she be comfortable in and have shared enjoyment of the out of doors. By necessity, because I didn't have a lot of money, what I could offer her were experiences, not things. My motive was then, as I learned later from Rachel Carson, when she said, she wished there were a good fairy to give to each child a sense of wonder so indestructible it would last a lifetime. Because knowing if they did, they would have less appetite for those activities that threatened the living world. Learning to love and steward our earth. So here's the two-way street. As my daughter went on to become an environmental feminist, a wilderness guide, and operations director for Friends of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area, all things I do not take credit for, but I celebrate, I learned from her. And I've continued to be inspired in having my own experiential growth and advocacy. Learning is lifelong. I've been asked by several of you to report back on a recent volunteer activity, somebody's nodding, um, that I had. Um, I returned last week from three weeks as the solo ranger on Stockton Island, one of the Apostle Islands in Lake Superior. I worked nine hour days for 21 days living in an off the grid cabin. I met boaters, kayakers, backpackers, I could not be more grateful for being given this opportunity as I felt my ancestors there and could give back to the places that I have so long cherished. Here's the thread back to the kids. One of my um, responsibilities was encouraging and teaching people of all ages. And here's two of my favorites were two separate groups of high school age kids kayaking on the big lake never having been out of Houston, Texas before. I was scared for him, but um, they, <laughs> I wasn't their guide, thank God. Um, they were black, Asian, and Hispanic, kids that have been historically underserved in the out of doors. I loved it. I had the pleasure of doing a lunch program for them, both groups, including sharing with them the uniqueness of the place they were at and how that place would remember them. And also the indigenous history of the islands, which they loved hearing. They were so full of questions and they were so very engaged. I gave them individually and a group so many kudos for being courageous enough to be on that trip, noting that this experience would have a huge lasting impact on their lives that they would only now begin to appreciate. I will not forget them, and I felt the flame 
of generations run through, through us. We need to take our passions to make an impact on our children, our society, and our planet. It's a two-way, no multi-directional journey. Boots and Wings. Boots and Wings is what we say that we give our children. You're the roots. You're the soil from which children will grow. The future will grow. You're the pine trees on the mountainside standing strong for kids to play among and sing the songs. We need volunteers for religious education next year. It's only once a month. It's wonderful. Already for our sex education program, our whole lives, we have had two people come up and say, I want to do this. Probably in part because of the atmosphere, the environment in which kids are growing up these days. Real science, real human nature needs to be taught from our religious point of view because this is a difficult time. We're in a difficult environment. We're called to rise to the occasion. I look at the fellowship's 70-year history and I think, well, the first hundred years are the hardest. By, by then, you, all the ups and downs, at least one, and you begin to be able to enjoy the waves and keep that flame bright on your on your boat, no matter what the storm. We do this by knowing who we are through the first hundred years and the next hundred years. So I'm going to talk about our roots in Ralph Waldo Emerson and about our lives together today in three poems. Well, it was July 15th, 1838 that Ralph Waldo Emerson gave his Divinity School address, which challenged right before all of the great Harvard divines and the new crop of ministerial students, all the revealed wisdoms that had accumulated in Unitarianism. He said this, in this refulgent summer, it's been a luxury to draw the breath of life. The grass grows, the, bird, the buds burst. The meadow is spotted with fire and gold in the tint of flowers. The air is full of birds and sweet with the breath of pine and fresh mown hay. Night brings no gloom with its welcome shade. Through the transparent darkness, the stars pour their almost spiritual rays. And then he says, the mind opens and asks, what am I? What is, asks the human spirit with a curiosity new kindled, but never quenched. 
behold these infinite relations, so like, so unlike, so many, yet one, I would study, I would know, I would admire forever. These works have been the entertainments of the human spirit of all ages. And yet, he says, beyond nature, there's an even more secret, sweet, and overpowering beauty that appears to us when our hearts and minds open up to the sentiment of virtue. We learn that our being is without bound, that to the good and to the perfect, we are born, even though we lie in evil and weakness. He's talking about holding on to something he calls the intuition of moral sentiment, the intuition of what is right and what is good, what is inclusive and whole. I remember going to Transylvania with the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Ames, where I had the privilege to serve. And we were allowed into a memorial service there. And one woman was designated to sit with us way in the back and translate as the preacher was speaking. And he said, what does that mean in the Bible? Because we are Bible-based. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus said this. And he said, you know, we're here to memorialize a good woman who led a good life, who did the best she could under all the circumstances of our lives here in this town, in this region. And that's what Jesus was asking us to do, not to have to be it, but to yearn for it, to want to know what is good, how we can perfect our moral sentiment, how we can live a new world right here as our dear friend who has passed on did. She inspires us with her life to continue to grow our own moral sentiment. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, this is an insight into the perfection of the laws of the soul. And he even went so far as to say that there is an identity of the law of gravity with the purity of the heart, that the urge to lead an ethical moral life has a source of gravity and is one with the laws of nature. Certainly that's who we are, pulled together by our moral sentiments, by our principles, not by creed, but by a dedication, a commitment to carry the flame of ethical life. How shall we be together? That's our question. Rachel Carson reminds us that the more clearly we can focus our attention on the wonders and realities of the universe, the less taste we shall have for destruction. For that's a flame we carry of lessening the urge to revenge, the taste for destruction, because that's who we are, the flame we carry amidst all the storms of changing times. I love something that Arthur C. Clarke wrote 
possibly somewhat poetically, as a way of remembering the wonders and realities of the universe around us and lessening our more destructive tendencies. He says this, a star forms by gravitational contraction of dust and gas and begins to glow when temperature and density of the core rise sufficiently for fusion. This depletes hydrogen fuel eventually and a fusion of helium becomes a red giant and then stars burn out their nuclear fuel and collapse to become white dwarves. In a white dwarf, a, cub a cubic inch weighs several tons, 10,000 times denser is a neutron star, a giant atomic nuclei. This finally collapses upon itself, sending shockwaves throughout the universe, a great big sound an enormous clang. The impact of this great gong on interstellar space is to change on an atomic level the entire area in great concentric circles for light years around. At the point of immediate impact is the location of the formation of all the heavy elements, that is, all the gold and silver you wear, all the trace minerals in your body come from the great cosmic gong of a star in the vast reaches of the universe. How can we live carrying the flame of our tradition of continual learning and love for the moral life with one another. Emerson abjures us to consider the universe and our internal moral sentiments along one continuum. So a poem by Rosemary Watola Trummer. It's called Watching My Friend Pretend Her Heart Isn't Breaking. On Earth, just a teaspoon of neutron star would weigh six billion tons. Six billion tons equals the collective weight of every animal on Earth, in, including the insects, times three. Six billion tons sounds impossible until I consider how it is to swallow grief. Just a teaspoon. And one might as well have consumed a neutron star how dense it is, how it carries inside it the memory of collapse, how difficult it is to move, and how impossible to believe that anything could lift that weight. There are many reasons to treat each other with great tenderness. One is the sheer miracle that we are here together on a planet surrounded by stars. One is that we cannot see what anyone else has swallowed. How shall we live together with the moral sentiment connected to an entire universe? If I were doing that little box that Reverend Christina does for the kids, you could open up a box and find in it nothing or emptiness or, but it's actually 30,000 neutrinos freshly produced and 
four zeptograms of dark matter. Cosmetologists are easy to shop for because you just get them a box for a present for their birthday. Well, it's those, those moments, the teachings, the glances, the handshake, the moments when we bring our moral sentiment into the world and connect ourselves and our children to all of nature. James Cruz has a poem, Small Moments. The world is not made only of sorrow and heartbreak. Something always slips through the gaps of a given day. Do, for instance, clinging to blades of grass, newly risen from the lingering sleep of winter, those droplets soaking your boots in the legs of your jeans as you pass through as proof that you are here and belong to this planet. That's not enough. Then I give you buttered sourdough toast, smeared with as much strawberry jam as that bread can hold, and the first bite whose burst of summer returns you to the body, where small moments like these are stored, like the nutrients leaves pull from the sun as soon as it breaks through storm clouds, filling the cracks with gold. And I'll end with a poem by David White, The House of Belonging, and I'll change the very last verse a little bit and repeat it for us. I awoke this morning to the gold light turning this way and that, thinking for a moment it was one day just like any other, but the veil had gone from my darkened heart and I thought, it must have been the quiet candlelight that filled my room. It must have been the first easy rhythm with which I breathed myself to sleep. It must have been the prayer I said, speaking to the otherness of the night. And I thought, this is the good day you could meet your love. This is the gray day someone close to you could die. This is the day you realize how easily the thread is broken between this world and the next. And I found myself sitting up in the quiet pathway of light, the tawny, close-grained cedar burning around me like fire and all the ascending angels of this house, heaven ascending through the first roof of light the sun has made. This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all the things it's taken me so long to learn to love. This is the temple of my adult aloneness and I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. This is the bright home in which we live. This is where we ask our friends to come. This is where we want to love all the things it has taken us so long to learn to love. There is no house like the house of belonging. There is no house like the house of belonging. Thank you, gentle people. Let us carry the flame together.